Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. On this show, we address the challenges faced in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era. Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must have a missional mindset. Christianity does have the answers of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's conversation. Over the last few years at Denver Seminary, we've been studying how young adults respond to churches. We brought to you experts to address the questions young adults are asking today. But today we have a special guest in the studio, and we would like to hear from a young adult who has thought a great deal about church, and he has some great perspectives on the church and we're looking forward to hearing from him this is christian curious with dr haley gray scott and co-host hannah greaser where we explore some of the most important pressing issues of our time today in the studio with us is a young adult reed burvick he is an aspiring writer and creative based out of denver he holds an ma in clinical mental health uh, counseling and he has his own mental health podcast which he will be able to share with you a bit about at the end of the show reed you grew up in evangelical christianity and i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your early faith journey yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I don't know how special I am, but I'm going to roll with that. Um, <laughs> you are. I would like to adopt you, but that's fine. Yeah. Go ahead. As a 27-year-old, we might have to do some legal stuff with it, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So, yeah, I was raised in the church. Both of my parents were on staff with uh, Cavus Crusade crew, and so they were really involved in the evangelical world. And Growing up in the first church I was at, my dad was an elder. My mom was really in women's ministry and things like that. And so I grew up just doing it. Like that was who I was and what I did on Sundays. We were there on Wednesday nights. I was at youth group in my early life. I was homeschooled and we went to church in the mornings, like almost every day for a few wow. years. So it was really, really central to my life uh-huh. for a really long time. Yeah church every single day almost it wasn't like technical church it was stuff in the building Mm -hmm. like we would sometimes do school stuff in the building i would roam the halls and like see what snacks were left over like (laughs) where the goldfish at when (laughs) yeah i was i was a fun kid but you know going into high school you know you have those those daily like who am I questions in high school and what do I think about things in kind of a high school way and so had some different experiences at either camps or whatever and then especially as I went into college um, getting involved with crew myself I kind of locked myself into faith and evangelical systems of belief yeah right and so I was born in the church too as they say so it was Haley and you know, I feel like for everybody who's processing their faith after growing up in the church, there does come a point where you start to kind of ask questions that can eventually lead to deconstructing like everything. And that's what happened to me in a philosophy class in college. Um, so was there a point for you when you started to really start to question yeah. your upbringing? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think, I think there are two ways to look about like asking ourselves questions. And I think the center of it it is around critical thinking because a lot of people will quote unquote ask questions about their faith, but everything that they look at, all their source texts of information is what they already believe. Mm-hmm. And so they are only trying to reinforce 
their current beliefs. And so they're not actually asking questions. They're actually trying to convince themselves of what is actually true right. for them. That and their, their belief systems aren't exactly. falling apart. So I did that for a while and I would like have these underlying big questions, but I was too afraid to ask them for myself. And so I would run to YouTube and find a quick sermon by some dude who argued in the favor of the thing I wish I could believe, but was struggling to. So that was like round one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Around two came around 22, 23, when a really dear friend of mine who was like, he, we were peers, but he was kind of like a faith mentor. He's the dude I went to first for everything, faith, prayer, perspective, wisdom, etc. He left kind of out of nowhere. It wasn't out of nowhere for him, but he didn't really share it. So it felt like out of nowhere. And so that kind of took away my ability to, to repress things internally. And so that that specific thing is what kind of got me to start asking questions for the first time. Right. You know, um, I'm reminded of a time when um, I've talked about it before. I talk about it a lot because I use it a lot in classes where um, I read probably about 40 memoirs from Auschwitz and people experience of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one day I woke up, it was middle of a Michigan winter. And my husband is like, I'm like, I'm, I told my husband, I am so depressed. And he goes, cause you're reading Holocaust memoirs in the middle of a Michigan winter. (laughs) Why are you doing this? And I was like, why am I doing this? And I realized I can't talk about the goodness of God unless I'm willing to look at the Holocaust. So if you can imagine a scale, you know, people tend to either say, you know, there are people who say Holocaust, 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 and then diminish the goodness of God. Or there are people who say God is good, God is good, God is good, and they diminish the suffering that happened during the Holocaust. And so to, I started asking that question, how can I hold those two opposing ideas in tension and actually honor the experiences of the people who actually suffer and still believe in a good God. And so it's hard to start to question those beliefs because it's sort of like the ground falling out beneath your feet. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of it ties into like where we find our identity. If my identity is completely in my belief system, my faith, my religious expression, if that's who I am, then questioning that isn't just questioning a God, it's questioning my conception of myself, which is a really, really difficult thing because the healthiest developmental um, growth comes as we can answer the question, who am I? In one sense, who am I? We have a self-conception, we have a sense of self, and when our sense of self is knocked against or questioned Mm -hmm. or whatever, that's really, really hard. So for me, from a mental health background, it makes a lot of sense why people don't question their beliefs an individual level. I also think that there are a lot of systems and churches who keep people from doing that as well. Um, But yeah, totally. Right. When, you know, when you talk to people, you know, one of their main issues is I was never given enough space to ask my questions because if I ask questions, then my leaders thought, well, you don't have enough faith Mm -hmm. just because you ask a question, but because you don't understand something. Yeah. And I really think there's a lot of leaders who are very, very insecure and a lot of pastors who are very insecure and only in their job as a pastor 
as a means to have and hold power over people because that makes them feel good. There's a lot of studies done that the number one mental health diagnosis of pastors is narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And so a lot of pastors will not let people ask questions or not want to because then they're insecure. Because mm-hmm. like, what if this person doesn't agree with me? Does it invalidate who I am as a leader? Instead of being like, I can actually be in community with people who view things very different than me. That yeah. doesn't discount us from having a loving, good, beneficial relationship. But I don't know. No. A lot of pastors don't really want to go there. Yeah, that makes sense. And going back a little bit to your second round of starting to ask questions, what were some of those questions? Do you remember? Yeah, absolutely. So I I started with a lot of the main questions like, what the heck is happening in the Old Testament? <laughs> like, like, I read this verse where God's telling people in numbers to go kill women and children. Like, what is that about? Or, or did these things all happen the way they, they really happened? Is this uh, a story? Is this real is this literal so a lot of those types of questions a lot of questions around like mm, jesus's life what did that look like can someone really come back from the dead things like that and eventually it got to the point where i have to go to a really foundational point of my question asking and actually ask is god even real right because all of those things xyz yeah i might never know i might never know some of the answers to some of those big questions like why does suffering exist this that and the other but the reality is I can ask the question, is God actually real? Like God do exist. And so that is kind of where the crux came for mm-hmm. me and in, in, in moving in a direction was centered around that question. Right. That makes sense. And we've been talking a lot about um, the future of the church, where the church is going, what is happening. And so um, we're curious to hear about your process of maybe deconstructing church since you were in it for so long. And, uh, what you think some of the problems with the evangelical churches. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's do three or four more interviews to, to, cover, <laughs> to cover that. So I think in short, I think one of the big problems of the evangelical, well, twofold, two of the big problems of the evangel- evangelical church is their foundation in what I would call white supremacy and their lack of of caring for oppressed people and those things go hand in hand so if you look at early church back in the day like early early church like right as it started around jesus's time and even pre-jesus time the good churches the good synagogues they were caring for the people the women the children the, the the poor the marginalized because they themselves were the marginalized people underneath the Roman Empire. And so this whole fabric of faith came from, we are oppressed people underneath this oppressive regime. What, how do we serve? How do we help? How do we care for one another? And so you have here in America where church was started in this country from manifest destiny, where people came from Britain over here because they said, God has this land for me. This is our land. So it was very ownership based. They were kind of misinterpreting Old Testament passages about like Canaanite and Israel's land and this, that and the other. And so you have the genocide of the Native Americans. You have enslaved and human trafficking of African peoples coming, being stolen and brought to America. And so foundationally, if you're looking forward, the church hasn't really existed in America to do good things for marginalized people to care for the widows and the orphans Uh uh-huh exactly and so not to say that there aren't churches who are doing good things and there aren't christian people who aren't doing good things but as a power structure of the church systemically it's based in power 
it's based in influence, it's based in money. If you look at the con conflation between politics and evangelical Christianity, it's really, really big. And so foundationally that plays out in praxis. And so you see a lot of churches having a lot of money, doing a lot of cool service type things in terms of like their church service. But what are we doing with people who don't have homes? Right. What are we doing with women who have been systemically marginalized in churches when they come and say, Hey, I got abused by this youth pastor or I got abused. They just push under the rug. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of church in my estimation in the evangelical sense, specifically the white evangelical sense is kind of a power trip and more about me and my freedom than it is about what Jesus taught or what people may need. So yeah. what would you think would be a, yeah. a solution to try to help people remember you know, you know, God even says, you know, if you want to know me, you know, that is to care for the poor, the needy and the afflicted. That is what it means to know me. So what do churches need to do in order to get back to that, in order to, um, you know, start to care for the, the widows and the orphans and to rearrange our thinking about that? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think you could like ban all men from being pastors for like 15 years, <laughs> make, them all go to, make them all go to therapy is one start. But you know, I think foundationally, if something has been built on toxic roots, on toxic ground, which I think the evangelical white church of America has, I really think part of it, or I, I re personally, I think the whole evangelical church needs to burn down completely and you build something new mm -hmm. is what I think needs to happen. How that looks practically could look a lot of different ways. I think that I don't really think churches should be sh sermon centric anymore. I don't need another trendy white dude with ripped jeans talking to me for 45 minutes. The tight jeans. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't need that. I don't need that. So it's like sermon centric. I don't, I don't know why you're going to, you're going to be, you're, they say that everybody's gifts matter. Everybody's gifts have equal footing, but for 75 to 80% of every single church sermon, you're seeing one person's gift, quote unquote. Right. And right. so it's already an imbalance of power. So sermon centric, I think needs to go. I don't think churches should operate in buildings in terms of having their own building for just church. I think of anything, I mean, how many churches are there in this country that could be housing for people who don't have homes, could be community centers for inner city kids to learn skills and job training, could be centers for therapy and, and coaching and, and things of that nature. Um, I personally don't really think pastors should be paid by the church. I think that money should hopefully be distributed to people who need it. Um, and it's okay, people disagree with me on that, but I think that there are practical things, but I don't think any of those things will help until you get to the root and you address the toxicity that white American evangelical Christianity was founded on. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. So why do you, you know, just as out of curiosity, why do you, you know, you focus on, you've mentioned white supremacy, white evangelical, um, what is it about the white Caucasian part that really offends you? Totally. So it, it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with somebody's skin color. So whiteness and being a white person can be very different things. So whiteness is a construct of power and systems that are built to build themselves up to keep power 
and then push other people out at their expense. So if you look at early history in America, slavery was more like it used to be in old times, like indebted slavery. And so you had black indentured servants, you had Irish indentured servants, and then a group of people said, okay, how do we make this? So people literally think black people are lesser than so that we can use them for our gain. And so it's less about the skin color of somebody because it's not, I mean, we didn't have any consent in being born white. So that's not what it's about. But whiteness as a cultural construct has been used to marginalize people and to hurt people. And so whenever that gets conflated with religion and with church, you have to address that part. And the other reason I said that is because Christianity at its root is a brown person's religion. Jesus was a brown man. Right. All of the early Christians were either brown or black, period. Like that's who built the faith. And so I want to be careful not to like go at Christianity as a whole, because there's a lot of good people who hold that religion and are lovely people. Some of them are white for sure, but to specify the whitewashing and the whiteness in a construct way. And since we are on radio and podcast, we should be clear that you are white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. That's me. That's a good point. So it's not an attack on a person for being white. So, you know, that's that would be my concern is that, you know, if someone's listening and and they hear that, I mean, there's nothing that anyone can do about the color of their skin aside. I mean, white people can go to tanning booths, you know, but (laughs) but it's like it's about subscribing to the power structure, right? Not taking a look at what systems you're a part of that could be doing harm, which I think is an important conversation to have because so many people are offended by you know, talking about white privilege because they automatically feel attacked. Because you need yeah, to the wall goes that. up right immediately. Yeah. So if we can have language that that facilitates a good communication channel so that we can actually start to 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 heal that these errors that that have happened before and we can start to perhaps make the church a healthier place and make the church more cognizant of, you know, the needy and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Which you know, are everywhere, especially young adults today. I mean, who often work three to four jobs just to make ends meet. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think one thing that really helps switch my perspective of like spiritual things, specifically deconstructing my Christianity is when I, I realized that the Bible wasn't specifically written for me. The Bible was written for the Jewish people at the time who were living under an empire. So if I was born in that time as a white person, I would have been a Roman citizen. Right. And so to look at it from that perspective, if I was a Roman citizen, would I really messed with like Jesus? Would I really like messed with that dude who was killed by them with Jewish leaders, of course? Probably not. And so being able to look at myself and be honest with myself of where I fit into this, realizing, oh, even though it wasn't my choice, even though I didn't have consent to be born into the American empire, I'm now in it. What do I do from here? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to make sure people are taken care of? Because my personal why is surround, centered in love and love towards people. And that means all people. And so when people are not being loved, what do I need to do? Right. Well, well, you know, you write a lot about the church and you have a lot of things that, you know, a lot of opinions about the church. I would like to hear your opinions about Jesus mm-hmm. and what does he personally mean to you what do you think about his teachings yeah no totally i've never met somebody who had a bad opinion of jesus the person Mm -hmm. 
I personally haven't. I, I only have positivity towards Jesus. You know, honestly, like I, it could change day to day, like what I believe, because I think the operative question in terms of faith, in terms of religious myth, not in terms of like fake, but like in a story sense, is Jesus divine or is Jesus not divine? Um, some days I'm like, I think he might be. Mm-hmm. And some days I'm like, nah, I really don't think he is. So for me, honestly, like there are days where I believe that he is and there are days where I'm not so sure about it. I think like above all, I want to live into the narrative that he spoke. I want to live into the life that he lived. I want to emulate what he set out to do in a lot of ways. And so I really think Jesus is still a really important figure for me. Um, and the closest religious figure that I identify with in terms of how I want to live my life. Yeah. That's so interesting too, because I could be wrong theologically, but when I am thinking about the new Testament at the time, the disciples didn't even really know his divinity, even though he tried to express it to them, they just wanted to follow him and live a life like him. Well, and then the first person he did tell was a woman at the woman at the well, mm-hmm. you know, she being the first evangelist, you know, and I come from the opposite perspective where, you know, I think of Jesus as divine and, you know, at church, you know, the, the way we talk about Jesus is divine, but to me, the humanness of Jesus is so important. So me and my daughters, I mean, my daughters are used to uh, Sunday school with mom while we're climbing 14ers. So this whole way up this uh mount quandary i was like okay ellie vivi i want y'all to let's just let's just have a brainstorm session what do you think made jesus laugh you know Mm. what did he think was funny you know and to see the humanity of jesus and it helps me to connect with him on a personal level because if he is fully if he's divine then he can't relate to me but he is a person that can relate to me because he was fully human. 100%. 100%. I mean, I think that's really fair, too. I think that's where a lot of church and mental health stuff, at least especially in years past as I was growing up, I think some churches are doing a better job now, but the mental health aspect of it, I really think if like applied mental health and applied psychology is basically just tapping into somebody's humanity and, and helping them like flourish whether that's grief, whether that's they're struggling with depression, whether that's a relationship discord, whatever it may be. And so, yeah, I think that's a really fair point. I think if we look at the humanity of people and the humanity of Jesus, then maybe, maybe we would be better off. Well, you mentioned several, several times about um, mental health. And I'm wondering what you think about the nexus between the mental health and the Christian faith. How do you see those two interacting and why do you think it's important for people, you know, within the Christian faith to start addressing mental health? I mean, I know I have my opinion, my opinions. I know my research. I have 2,500 pages of interviews with young adults who struggle with mental health mm-hmm. um, that I have to go through all by myself. <laughs> um, but yes, mental health is a huge issue right now. Suicide is on the rise. Suicide mm-hmm. is a contagion. And... Um, I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on mental health and the Christian faith. Yeah. So if I were arguing from a Christian perspective on why mental health is important, I think there'd be two things that I would say. Number one, if what Christians say is true, that everybody is made in the image of God, that means that everybody has value and everybody is worth and everybody should be treated with respect. One. Two, um, 
if we're after human flourishing and humans living into the joy of God, so to speak, then we should do everything in our power to help them heal from what keeps them from that. So also Jesus says, cry with those who cry, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve. And a lot of therapy work is, in my experience, is centered around grieving certain things or not grieving things and having it catch up to. So I think that to love people and to honor people's um, like God-like nature is to care for them in a human way. And if I am body, I am mind, I am spirit, if I have psychological things, if I have biological things, I need to take care of all of that. So it, it's more of a holistic approach. And I think, and spirituality too. Spirituality is important in mental health for a lot of people. So being able to look at the holistic person um, versus just the spiritual side, which yeah. I think a lot of people get into, which well, you do stuff. have your own podcast on mental health. Can you sure tell do. the audience where they can find you? Yeah. So my podcast is called Recess Podcast. Um, it, they're like 15 minute episodes. So they're really quick and digestible. Um, it's on all the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google. It's on my website at readbervic.com, um, Spotify, all of them. Yeah. You can just search in Recess Podcast. It'll be there. Yeah. You can go to readbervic.com. That's R-E-I-D-B-E-R-V-I-K dot com <laughs> and you can find it on pretty much every single place you can download your podcasts all of them yeah reed thank you so much for being here yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it you're a special person and you know um i've been honored to work with you over the years and i just really appreciate your your viewpoints yeah thanks and thank you listeners to tuning in to christian curious if you missed any part of our conversation, be sure to visit our website to download this episode at ChristianCurious.co. That's www.ChristianCurious.co. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious. You can contact Dr. Haley at Haley, H-A-L-E-E, -E, at ChristianCurious.co. That's H-A-L-E-E -E at ChristianCurious.co. Catch all the episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also learn more at www.ChristianCurious.co.